Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and Tech Podcast, a roundtable discussion with leading WordPress and tech experts, hosted by Jonathan Denwood. Welcome, folks, to This Week in WordPress and Tech. A warm, warm welcome to this very robust panel. Look at um, me. I feel like the rose with all the thorns here. Is that mean? No, come on. Look at all these handsome fellas surrounding me today. We are going to talk about some hot topics this week in WordPress. Uh, we're going to start right out of the gate. You don't want to miss this first one. But before we do that, why don't we go around and why don't we introduce ourselves to the tribe? I know for one, I'm super glad to be back. I haven't been here in a few weeks. Unless you count the disaster of the attempts that we had live in Porto trying to record together, wherein I just completely gave up and wandered off. But, you know, we did give it a shot. We tried, Jonathan. Uh, John Locke, why don't you tell the people who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm John from Lockdown SEO. John, I thought you got a haircut, but I realized I don't think, I think you always wear a hat. I've only ever seen you with a hat on. Um, sometimes so I don't. Who knows? Maybe you did yeah, get your hair. Who knows? Andrew Palmer. Oh, welcome to 704, by the way. This is episode 704, and it's uh, Andrew Palmer from Bertha.ai being a bit of a smart ass. Mm, what else is new? Spencer. Spence from WPLaunchFi.com. And Morton, the, no- the North Man. Hi, I'm Morton. I have opinions about a lot of things. <laughs> We're glad you're here. And you're also in charge of keeping Denwood in line. As I understand it. So that's good. Uh, our special guest, Chris, the dude, Badget, is here from outer space. Hey, I'm Chris from Lifter LMS. And our fearless leader. Oh, Stephanie, John I'm Denwood. looking forward looking forward to Morton telling me I'm a total freaking idiot. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the know, nice version. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the good version, isn't it? Back mm-hmm. over to you, yeah. Stephanie. <clears throat> and I am Stephanie here repping. Focus WP, where we augment your staff or your team with an instant team of developers and designers and whatever else you may need to fulfill your WordPress projects. Um, So why don't we dive in to our... Oh, before we dive into our stories, I'm going to get in so much trouble. We got to pay the bills, y'all. Let's listen to a quick ad from our major sponsor. Allow us to introduce you to Castos, our major sponsor. If you're looking to get into podcasting, Castos is for you. No penalties on the amount of downloads and the support, should you need it, is the best in the industry. Take a look at Castos for your podcasting solution. That's castos.com, castos.com. The importance of backing up your WordPress website cannot be emphasized enough. We use BlogVault to help us do this on a daily basis. With free staging, migrations, and on the pro plans, malware scanning and auto fix, BlogVault is the professional's choice when managing just one website or many. Go to blogvault.com and see for yourself. You seriously won't find a better, more complete solution. That's blogvault.com, blogvault.com. And we're back. Now, besides what, what you just heard from our sponsor, we also have some special offers just for you, Tribe, you can go to wp-tonic.com slash recommendations. Go check it out. And, oh, look, we just had a, a thank goodness. 
<laughs> I was getting, I was feeling outnumbered, Sally. Sally, I can't Getch. imagine why. <laughs> Sally, I'm... you give a quick intro, and then we're going to dive into a story. Sure, I'm Sally Getz, the WP fangirl, and <clears throat> looking forward to getting started. Great. So, without further ado, story number one. I know you guys are so excited to talk about this because you love to bash Matt Mullenweg. And Matt had a little Twitter tantrum about GoDaddy. We're jumping onto the tavern site, WPTavern.com. The title of this article is Matt Mullenweg identifies GoDaddy as a parasitic company and an existential threat to WordPress's future. So, Jonathan, you are chomping at the bit Oh, I, I, I just think it's fantastic, Matt. You know, but, you know, having that whiskey bottle late at night, twittering away, but you spoke truth to power, Matt. You know, um, you know, everybody knows what I think of GoDaddy. I can't, I'm not going to start swearing, you know, but every... It's too early e- in the show. It's every, show. every word that Matt said about <clears throat> GoDaddy... I'm in total agreement. Uh, Spencer, what do you think? A couple of interesting takeaways. First of all, in a day full of lots of interesting news to talk about across the entire world, uh, I guess I guess the universe decided to overwhelm us with this very interesting moment where we got to go back in history circa 2009 of seeing when Matt forgets that he's, you know, leading a multi-billion dollar funded company and decides to get into a Twitter spat, to put it kindly, for maybe valid reasons, but nevertheless, it demonstrates why it's a bad idea for anybody in his position to do that. Because he just essentially created drama where none existed. He lowered the curtain back down to Chris Pearson circa 2009 levels of like, that's the man I remember. He's still there. Underneath, hey, everything's beautiful. And and it isn't good for business when you pick a fight with a company that literally could pull the noose around your neck and, you know, like choke your only income source, which is, you know, their competing product. So I just found the whole thing very interesting. And I'm not pointing fingers at whiskey or going off meds, but like that's a dangerous (laughs) Twitter, isn't it? Like two clicks later and it's all over for your persona, you know. (laughs) No, no, he deleted him. <laughs> what, 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 what's, what's uh, the, yeah, like so it's better. Useful. The internet is forever. I know. Uh, Morton, Morton. I want to see the side conversation that caused him to delete those tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Who was in that, that conversation? I have a hypothesis, but I'm not going to say it. Because uh, that whole thing, like, there's so much there right so one thing is it is absolutely true that multiple different hosting companies are extremely parasitic to all open source projects this is not limited to wordpress it's just wordpress is one of the biggest ones so therefore it's super obvious and all of these companies earn their millions of dollars off the work of open source projects that includes automatic whose entire revenue stream is entirely based on the open source work of WordPress contributors. So this is very much someone living in a glass house 
like using an AK-47 inside the glass house to try to take out all the people in the other glass houses outside, right? This is like so hypocritical. It's insane. But, but, but he somehow managed to walk himself into blue holes for such a great thing, right. which right. is like, we know you have a personal relationship with them and they have like all these outrageous deals that have never been explained that allow them to do things no one else in the space is allowed to do. And somehow you continue to push that line, even though there is no evidence to support what you're saying. So that does not help matters at all. And this conversation, from what I understand, having spent eight seconds looking at it, was actually about Newspack, which to my understanding is an automatic product. You do realize, Morton, you're not allowed that, to say you're not like, allowed to say anything nasty about automatic because they sponsor their show to some extent. Well that's unfortunate for you. <laughs> I mean seriously. If you want I, to talk um, about consolidation of power within the, in the WordPress community, automatic is the consolidation of power. These other companies form a threat to the power from automatic. But that is not a message that can come from the person who both leads the open source projects and runs automatic. That has to come from an impartial party, right? You cannot throw rocks inside the glass house you built yourself. And say that other people are throwing it. can, but it may not end well. No. Uh, my favorite sentence of this article has nothing really to do with the whole point of everything, like all the politics of it. It says, in a strange turn of events that would have been unimaginable years ago, many in the WordPress community took to Twitter to defend GoDaddy. <laughs> you know what? That is, no, this is important to understand. Because I saw this shift happen. Like, do you remember the GoDaddy CEO killing elephant story that really, like, almost sank oh, GoDaddy? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, GoDaddy did this very strategic move to invest heavily in WordPress contribution and to go hire a bunch of prominent WordPress developers and eventually buy a bunch of WordPress companies to regain the trust of the community. And what they've done very strategically is go in and say, we're going to help WordPress on things that the WordPress community isn't doing well because it's not shiny and fun, like hosting security, like platform security, like spam protection, like all these things that open source developers don't want to do because it's not the cool shit to do. It doesn't say Gutenberg on it. It's not flashy, right? So, and they combined with a bunch of other hosting companies have invested in all the infrastructure work that needs to happen in WordPress for WordPress to succeed. But that stuff isn't shiny and fancy, so no one notices it. But the people who are heavily invested in WordPress know the platform does not survive without that work. And that's why they're coming in and saying, hey, you can't attack them because they literally are propping up the unstable foundations of our whole thing. And if they pull out, we are really, really, really screwed, right? So it's not so much, I think, that they're protecting GoDaddy in particular, is that they understand the value these large companies are bringing to WordPress through their contribution because they do the work no one else wants to do, which is just proof that Eric Raymond's insane idea of the cathedral and the bazaar and how eventually the bazaar will just overtake power and, you know, be able to maintain itself is nonsense. Big corporations have to do that because no open source developer wants to devote their free time to doing boring shit. 
Wow, that was that took a turn. I did not expect coming. We just had a little. Uh, we, we, we've missed you, you so much, you, Morton. Do you notice uh, in the comments there's something about him allegedly having a fever is the excuse for why he's twittering? Yeah, stop it. I didn't see that. That's hilarious. Well, I lost, I lost my temper at one of my, one, of my, one of my really good friends when I had COVID. So that's, you know, I can try and Is that he's pissed off 9,000 people. Right? You would think in it's uh, delirium. But yes, go ahead, Andrew. Well, GoDaddy employs 9,000 people. They're really important people. They work in the ecosystem. Like Morton says, I'm, I'm not going to repeat what he says, but whatever you think of GoDaddy, people use managed WP, they use security, they use all sorts of stuff. You can slag off companies as much as you like, but when you are the head of a large hosting company, i.e. WordPress.com, slagging off in public another large hosting company if you were on the stock market, you would no longer have your job. It is that simple. I reckon uh, the VCs are going mental at the moment. And they're saying, <laughs> what the F is going on? Sort this out. Control yourself. It's just outrageous what he said. It's outrageous. I can't believe he's even said it. The Twitter situation is always just nuts, the stuff people do. Uh, Chris or John, do you have any uh, <laughs> thoughts before we jump to the next story? Uncharacteristic of Matt to lose this, but um, as the Twitter account Derp Press put it, uh, Jeff Matson, who who works at Pagely uh, via you know GoDaddy Pagely, he said uh, fill in the blank is uh, existential threat to the word WordPress, and then uh, Derp Press said Series D funding. That's that's part of it. <laughs> I put I put at photo Matt is the existential press. I seen you put that too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this was uncalled for. Look, go, you know, GoDaddy. You know, maybe he does. He they have a competing product to automatic has um, hosting via Pressable and the, the VIP, and then they have their bottom tier. You know, five dollar a month stuff that the conspiracy th theory bloggers go on. But attacking GoDaddy is not going to do any good because they give millions of dollars in um, sponsoring events, word camps. They're one of these companies that they hit up all the time for so much money to sponsor uh, word camps and be global sponsors and, and do these things. And beyond that, there's a lot of people that work at that company that have um, tried to improve the culture of the overall ecosystem of WordPress and that put time into improving the product. And maybe they don't put in uh, enough money or time or, or whatever it is to satisfy what Matt Mullenweg thinks that they should. But him losing his cool and going on Twitter and just unprovoked, like bashing GoDaddy and all the people that work there is a major screw-up, in my opinion. So. Yeah. A couple of just quick points. Uh, I heard Matt once say that most of the money in WordPress is in the hosting companies, which is true. It's, it's actual SaaS monthly hosting. Uh, WordPress is a community. It's a, and some would even call it a cult. And communities, cults, uh, groups of people often need to have a common enemy. It's part of the story. And if I don't think GoDaddy is the arch enemy of WordPress, I, I know a lot of great people that work at GoDaddy. 
<laughs> I officially actually host my websites at Pagely, which is now part of GoDaddy. And uh, there's a lot, there's a great team there. WordPress Learn uh, is a project I contribute to that is led by somebody who works at GoDaddy. Um, so this is the people, uh, people are what make a company. So I think this is just a, a challenging moment from a leadership perspective. Um, when you have a lot of respect to, to maintain, not just of companies, but of people. And I think the real question here is to actually answer the question truthfully without um, dropping into cult-like behavior. What is the enemy of WordPress? Like, what is it really? That's, that's the big question here. And I just also want to note, transparency is also important. Like a lot of people don't realize that PayPal and Stripe plugins are free for WooCommerce, but there's a backend payment that happens. Uh, autom- automatic gets a percentage of all the sales that flow through there. So they're actually still monetized. And some people don't realize that. But e-commerce is where a lot of the big money is in software and tech. So if there's a threat here between uh, GoDaddy payments or WooCommerce, let's let's take it as a competitive moment and WooCommerce can out-innovate, let the bazaar out-innovate the cathedral, if you will. Well, well said. Well said. As we have to move on to our next story, um, just out of curiosity, how do you guys feel about the communist Chinese government watching your dance moves on TikTok. Does that make you stressed out? We are jumping over to CNBC.com, and this article is titled, TikTok Insiders Say Social Media Company is Tightly Controlled by Chinese Parent ByteDance. Um, what, do we, what do we think about this, Jonathan? Well, um, well my position, it's got two aspects. Um, the person that wrote this article originally... Um, has strong connections with Facebook, and that's not it. It's caused a bit of a stir because she was a consultant um, with Facebook, the original writer of this piece. Um, and but the fundamental thing, I, I personally believe that TikTok should be banned tomorrow. It's just a, it's just a mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, it's totally controlled by the t- Chinese Communist Party. To have that on, to allow anybody that has any, to have them have it on your phone, um, you're just giving total access to the Chinese Communist Party, um, which isn't a friend of America, to say the least. Um, so, I don't think anybody wants to be a friend of America at the moment. Uh, yeah, frankly. wait, America has friends. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, well, that's a whole different ball game, but um, this is a particularly. I've got absolutely no problem with the Chinese people at all, um, but the Chinese Communist Party is engaged in genocide against the Uyghur people. Um, it's a particularly unpleasant fascist orientated um, government that's engaged in a number of extremely unpleasant actions to its own people. Um, We should stop stop buying Apple phones then and our TVs and everything that's made in China. Because that's what you're saying. Don't use TikTok, but you're saying, you know, how's your iPhone doing, John? 
you know, if we're going to, if we're well, going to, well, I'm not, I'm not know, the greatest fan of old uh, Tim. Yeah, the, we, uh, we, stop, so. we stop using iPhones. We stop using all kinds of tech. You know, if you want to go down that road and and just cherry pick what you want to choose not to use because of a, a your thoughts on a government, then stop cherry picking. Pick up the whole shopping basket and say, right, you're out the door. I'm not going to be using Chinese products. How is this different? How is this different from Facebook um, promoting? ideologies of the, the primarily the right and and having uh giving like premium access to to <laughs> donald trump's team and peter thiel being on the board and uh promoting stuff like ben shapiro and uh yeah, all the other garbage different. that's out there have you seen you know facebook lately there's people still in denial about everything from slavery on down to the insurrection. So, and Twitter, the same thing. They allow all these um, malicious accounts, fake accounts to spread propaganda. And those are American companies. How's it any different? Social media. That's what I say. How's it different? Um, yeah, I take your points, both Angie and yourself, John. Um, I'm interested to see what Maldson's got to say about that. Me too. I mean, this story is from 2020 when the Danish government said TikTok is a spy machine for China and everyone was like, whatever, (laughs) right? Because everyone was like, yeah, and Facebook is a spy machine for the United States government and Twitter is a spy machine for the United States government and all the other things are. So that argument, like in the public eye, that argument has no value anymore. Because people are like they've they've just resigned to the fact that everything we do well, online are you, is being spied are you on by really, are stop, you... stop 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 it everyone in the public has resigned to the fact that everything they say on social media has been has been um, is being spied on simply by the fact that they keep using it even when they are told explicitly that this is happening right and now suddenly people are like oh well you know China is spying on it this has been the case the whole time this is why like. Shocking for me to say, this is why the whole Trump administration thing with how they were going to ban TikTok, his particular reasoning was nonsense, right? He wanted to ban it because some comedian was making fun of him, but the underlying system was going, actually, we should ban it because this is a data gathering system for China specifically. And that's why they tried to move it from China to somewhere else. Now, interestingly, Oracle entered into a deal with ByteDance to take over. And it was announced earlier this week that in spite of Oracle taking over, they still share data with China. But the researchers who've been looking at it are saying they're actually not sharing data in the way that people are fearing. What they're sharing is um, data about how they are doing um, uh, consumer protections. I know you can't believe any of this. No, no, no. I, I don't believe any of it. Yeah. But if we want to have a conversation about surveillance capitalism, we need to have a conversation about surveillance capitalism. And that starts with Google. So if you want to have this conversation, we need to start at the origin point, which is Google, and then tear everything down from there. Because TikTok is just a symptom of a huge-ass problem that was created by Google. Yeah. Well, I totally agree with you there. But we are... This is... I'm not disagreeing with almost everything you've said, Morton, but when it comes to TikTok, we're talking about something that is amazing, even worse than the situation with Google, Twitter, and everything everybody else is. Because we're dealing 
you know, don't get me wrong, panel, I'm totally aware of the flaws of the US government and their endless. Um, but compared to the Chinese Communist Party, we just put the whole thing on steroids on a, on a totally different level. We're dealing with real fascists here, real hardcore fascists. Have you seen the Supreme Court today? <laughs> oh, don't go there. This, this is a tech show. This is a freaking tech show. All right. For God's sake, please don't do that, John. Uh, I don't even know what to say to all of that. That was a lot. Spence, what do you got? I mean, I think Martin's point is the biggest one, which is this is old news. I mean, I remember when this first came up, it was, you know, a lot of the other apps were being monitored. But it'd be hard for me to imagine somebody just woke up from under a rock and realized, like, today, the Chinese government and other governments are monitoring. Every single thing that one does is monitored. To the point where just any device you use, you can see it anticipates your next movement. I mean, literally, in my house, we've had this conversation. There's three or four ladies listening to me. And as soon as a word is mentioned in a house full of men that has to do with something we would never buy, all my screens light up with, you know, you want to buy more of that. So that's the price we pay for what we've got. Um, as far as how everything else goes, I think it ties more into Morton's conversation on his uh, LinkedIn that I've been following and, and addressing about putting bad data into AI. Like my greater concern is if you take what we've got today and you connect that AI to this, our whole political, you know, uh, corporate ecosystem, plug that into AI that amplifies at times a thousand. And the rest of us are just like little particles of plastic floating in the ocean now of, of a dystopian future. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a good answer here for any of us, but it definitely is on my mind that unplugging from all of this is the only logical conclusion, you know, stepping outside the computer space. Which is not easy to do in our line of work. I mean, it's our, it's our livelihood, but at the same time, like all these conversations about, like, the, the, the irony of the WooCommerce versus GoDaddy payments is live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> The rest of us in that story tied to this have a decision to make. We can go back to governing ourselves. We can go back to saying we own the software, not Matt Mullenweg or anybody else and not even GoDaddy. But we just have to decide in the same way we can decide about social media and how we behave amongst ourselves. We can go back to a civil discourse. But it's a very difficult thing when there's a 40% of the world are literally, you know, round the bend. Uh, any final comments on this article, guys, before we've got to move on to the next story? If not, then let's move on to the Matt report and he think and let's discuss what our pal Matt Medeiros has to say about the WordPress vibe. What's up with the WordPress vibe? Um, if anybody would like to give a quick, uh, since this isn't, this is a podcast episode, if anybody would like to give a quick recap of what yeah, this was. It. Yeah. Well, you know, um, well, I discussed it with Andrew yesterday on my interview show, um, and th it was in two parts. There was the part of some of the criticism of WordCamp Europe, which me and Andrew were in agreement. Um, there's a good side of the WordPress community and there's a bad side. I, I I really was amazed at some of the criticism of WordCamp Europe. 
and I think I'm speaking for you, Andrew, but obviously you, you speak for yourself, but I was quite, sh- not totally surprised, but quite shocked um, at some of the criticism. I thought it was, you know, people that don't understand that, you know, criticising that there wasn't diversity at the and also the covert controls at the event. Um <clears throat> Well, they don't know if the organisers really tried to get a more diverse panel of speakers. They don't know. I've they tried. do actually. There's been a that there was a lot of discussion before the event happened. Yeah, um, you know the COVID thing. That's another difficult subject. So I, I, I just think it. it, it I was going to utilise the word outrageous, but I think that's not appropriate. But I, I thought it was extremely unfair. I thought it was unfair criticism. He wasn't even was... at the conference. I know. Um, Andrew, what do you think? No, he wasn't. He wasn't criticized. He was remarking. He was. He was remarking about criticism that has emerged, Stephanie. And then, and then he goes on about, you know, toxicity. Uh, about his second part was about news coverage in in the words word press space and he went on a bit of a rant and I, I do agree with a lot of things that he said in that rant about he was talking more about media partners and not being accepted as well a media talking about people people that don't really want and it's a bit linked to story one in some ways it's a bit linked yeah. to people that want to take but don't really want to contribute much to um, you know, obviously he hurt my ego, Stephanie, because he didn't mention my show as one of the influencers. And so I'm never talking to him again, Stephanie. Okay. So there we go. But um, it was an interesting combination, Stephanie. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? Well, I think the, con- the conclusion that Jonathan and I came to yesterday was that there is there's too much toxicity in WordPress, but it's a, it's also there's toxicity in every aspect of life we have. And this is driven by social media keyboard warriors and people that don't attend events or don't have uh, a particular interest in, in attending events or can't even afford to attend events. And that was one of the criticisms of stuff. And Winstein has done, you know, we, we, we know Winstein now and she's done a great job of getting, trying to get people sponsored um, from an, from underrepresented groups and everything. I think that's all that's all good. But the the thing is, once you experience a WordCamp, whether it's WordCamp Europe or any WordCamp that you go to, you meet people, you network, you uh, take advice, you give advice, and you make friends. And that's the whole point of these meetups. When uh, one of the criticisms was on COVID, I got COVID, as you know, and um, you know the monitoring thereof. And people were saying, you know, a very good friend of mine, Mike Demo, was saying, well, really, we should have had a uh, a monitoring service employed by WordCamp Europe to police it and say, wear your mask, wear your, you know, but you can't go in there unless you wear your mask. Well, yeah, okay, that's all right. It's 2020 vision. But actually, we're all grown ups. We're all over 21. Um, and we can make our own decisions. And we made our decisions. I wore masks when I could or when I, when I found it necessary. And I didn't when I didn't, you know, so what? I got COVID. I'm a grown up. I went. I knew there was going to be a couple of thousand people there. COVID hasn't gone away. Tough luck on me. You know, took me two weeks to get over it. But, you know, we're all grown-ups and we make these decisions of going there. As far as what Matt was saying about media coverage, it's almost a closed shop. 
Now, we've got to be careful about this because, you know, some of the speakers that spoke at WordCamp Europe speak at other WordCamps. And I think we've got to open up the floor to a lot more diversity in speaking in people who actually speak. And I'm not talking about underrepresented groups. I want to see people on those stages that I haven't seen at WordCamps around the world. And, and so we, we've got to stop the closed shop going. And that's what Matt was going on about. How do you become a media partner? And it's, it's friends of friends of friends of friends. And so he was just trying to stop that. But toxicity doesn't start at the top. And I'm referring to what happened yesterday with Matt Mullenweg. If the, if the CEO of the company is toxic, then that makes it acceptable. And that's not a right thing to do. So we've got to get rid of that poison. Uh, Chris? Want to chime in? I think one of the interesting things that Matt Medeiros said, and he's always kind of taken the mantle of defending and getting respect for the blue-collar digital worker, uh, the people, the unsung hero of WordPress, you know, the agency, the freelancer, the small plug-in shop, small theme shop, um, the people contributing and, and repping the brand of WordPress. But in terms of the media angle, he mentioned that there's only like 8,000 people that listen to WordPress podcasts like this one, which I find interesting. And, you know, I've heard Matt talk for many years, Matt Medeiros, about like the WordPress community with a capital C, meaning like kind of the insiders, I guess. And it got me thinking about it because, you know, I, as an example, like I'm a WordPress company and um, over the life of our company, I've built an email list up to 70,000 people. But of those, who actually really cares about WordPress or that would go to a WordCamp or, um, you know, get involved in the WordPress community, contribute in some way, care about the ecosystem? Going back to our earlier point is what is the enemy of WordPress? I think it's that it's the size of the people that care. If it powers 43% of the internet, why does the, the media for WordPress only have 8,000 yeah. people that listen to it? And why is that? And I don't have an immediate answer for that, but that's, that's really the challenge. What if WordCamps attracted more people, more of that, the, the other 99% of its users? What needs to happen to do that? Isn't it because we're yeah. basically, we're like the people who make the, the tools. The audience of the people who use the tools is much larger. But like literally, if you switched it to like, I don't know, socket wrenches, Right. We're the people who make socket wrenches for auto mechanics. If you think about how many people need their car fixed, it's hundreds of millions, but not one of them care about the socket wrenches. The audience of the people that buy the socket wrenches might care, and even they probably don't care as long as it works. But this grew out of that organic, like, look, we can put like this and this and this together and make a website at a time when that was important. But now here we are in a different ecosystem. And I think that's what's really the important thing is like, the thing that WordPress needs to succeed is WordPress as a solution, an end solution that's cohesive and, and logical and one button easy, just like Wix or Weebly or Squarespace or Shopify or anything. None of those have these debates going on amongst them where there's 42 plugin authors arguing over which component is better. It's a self yeah, I see. I see what you say there, Spencer, but on the other hand, it's linked, if it was a Wix conference... What struck me about Porto was that you, and I think Andrew would agree, and I'm, I'm not somebody that normally takes the Kool-Aid, 
really aren't. I'm probably too cynical. Um, but I was aghast. There were people from all over the world. I mean, there were people from the Indian subcontinent, from all over Europe, from America, two and a half thousand people from everywhere. I don't think you're going to get that with Wix or get that with Squarespace. That's it was my point. really the point is because it's a tool. Nobody cares about going to a Wix or a Weebly or Shopify conference because they only care about just using the tool. Like if I buy a shovel from Home Depot because I need a hole in my garden, I don't go to the shovel conference. I really who gives a crap? I go to the where where do I find out which seeds to plant from home and garden? Because I want I the stuff to, go to I went the to the shovel. I went to the shovel conference. I really did. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you see what I mean? We're enamored with the tools because that was like our little playground. But now it's a business. It's an ecosystem where, you know, like you can go to Vegas and see that about electronics, but not even that. I think your mic just switched sources. Weirdly, mine maybe. I just oh, no, I got I got. Are you? Of it. That's why you just you're leaning. in my face. <laughs> leaning in. Um, guys, any final thoughts on this article before we go and have a quick word from one of our sponsors? Anybody else want to jump in? No. Okay, then let's hear uh, another little ad. Pay the bills. Hear an ad from our sponsor. Hey, it's Ben's from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with LaunchFlows. Get your copy today. Hey, Tribe, are you trying to scale your agency but struggling to find time to work on your business because you're always stuck working in your business? Head over to FocusWP.co where you can subscribe to an instant team of white-label geeks and creatives to delegate to. Use code WPTONIC for a special discount just for the Tribe. With FocusWP, you don't have to worry about hiring, firing, or any other HR nightmares. Just submit a ticket and your new team will dive in. Focus on what you love. Outsource the rest. And we're back. Don't forget, guys, if you are out there listening, if you are part of the tribe, go check out wp-tonic.com slash newsletter, where you can get um, some recommendations, some cool things, commentary by the one and only Jonathan Denwood on the regular, and uh, hear all of his insights and opinions on things. Sign up for that. You won't regret it. And now we are moving on to a story that I'm kind of excited about. I, I love talking. I love all this stuff about this Google AI thing. This is uh, an article in The Atlantic, theatlantic.com, and the title of the article is Google's AI is something even stranger than conscious, and the subheading is machine sentience is overrated. And the, the backstory of all of this is that uh, a Google employee, of course, we've all heard it, he thought that the AI was becoming sentient because it it was afraid of being powered I, down. I really hope he did not and, think that as as one of the engineers creating it, uh, but he right. claimed that possibly tongue in cheek. Also, it was 
like it was literally a chat that was supposed to imitate human conversations. <laughs> yes. And when it did, it was a chat bot. Woo. And when it, he really it, does it, think that. Like he, if you watch the interviews of him and read the interviews, he truly believes that the bot is sentient and deserving of personhood and is actively trying to hire a lawyer to represent it. Well, I, I saw the bit about trying to hire a lawyer at, 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 and it just, I mean, it just seemed like it had to be a windup. It's like, wait, you work with this stuff. Do you really not comprehend that? <laughs> then again, maybe he knows something we don't, you know, like, I no. don't know. no. <laughs> It was specifically designed to answer questions in a sentient way. I mean, that's the whole point. Like, you know, I quote sentient. Can I can I contribute something? Because I've had a back and forth with Morton, and Morton wrote an article about this whole subject. And I've got to be truthful, Morton. I do understand where you're coming from, but I think there was a little bit of intellectual sniffing snobbiness in your article, Morton. Uh, um, because you know, I don't understand where you're coming from, really, Morton. Because I can tell, um, <laughs> yeah, again, because if you think that biological, if his article sounds sentient, though, like this yeah. is, it's but if you good. think biological entities are just glorified machine, biological mm-hmm. machines, it's just a pure hardware software problem. If you get enough hardware computerization in the end you will get consciousness won't you, well, you really... a few billion years to get conscious and morton give me i need a link to that article i need a link I know. To that. It's just you know why why not you know we are what 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 are our computers made of you know metal carbon wiring you know that's what we got electricity like <laughs> duh you know. When Jonathan says he doesn't understand where I'm coming from, it's because he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. <laughs> You're, what you just described is not what I'm saying. So like, that's completely wrong. Uh, that, Morton. That so fun. machine consciousness or any kind of created consciousness is a problem that the human, the human population has been grappling with since it figured out how to have time away from running away from murderous animals. No matter how far back in history you go, there are creation myths. I think it around was running humans. around murdering animals, but yeah, like we when we switched from being murdered by animals to murdering animals, we had extra time on our hands, and then we started thinking about things like, "Am I real? What is special about me? Are other people real?" Etc. Right? Creation myths around humans creating consciousness in inanimate objects are as old as recorded history. The fact that humans project sentience onto literally everything in their house is because of our sympathetic and emotional system that is designed to ensure that we can live in societies together, right? You all remember that IKEA ad where the Swedish guy, like that lamp that gets thrown out, and then the Swedish guy comes like, uh, oh, uh, do you feel bad about the lamp? It's not big, that's stupid. It has no feelings, and a new one is much better, right? Like, the fact that we have empathy for a lamp in Mm -hmm. an ad is the same thing as a Google AI engineer thinking the AI has sentient. We project sentience onto everything. Now, yes, it is conceivable 
that given a big enough computing system, some form of self-awareness within the system can occur, assuming that that self-awareness and that quote-unquote sentience or something that would qualify as sentient would ever be recognized by humans as such is just hubris. Because human sentience is very much tied to how humans are shaped. Like if we if we agree on some bottom line parameters and, and exclude like 90% of all science around this and say sentience is in some way tied to the human body, meaning if you remove the human body, the sentience also is removed, right? We can justify that by saying things like people who have half their brain removed due to surgery or something like that suddenly are a completely different person and have a recollection of being someone else. Right? So there, there's some signs to show that there's a connection between the human body and our feeling of self and our sentience, although it's not explained. So based on that, we can say machine intelligence could emerge, but it would be fundamentally different from human intelligence, probably to the point where we would not be able to recognize it as such, because all the measures we have for what sentience is, is based on our own phenomenological experience of the world, Right. And our experience is tied to how we perceive the world through our bodies, which is called supervenience in philosophy. This idea that the the, the bodies, um, what happens in the body influences the, the um, uh, psychological states of the body. And the psychological states of the body are what manifest themselves as meaning in the world. What's interesting about the article that's supposed to be talked about here is that in Part of the article, the engineers for Google that talk about the other AI say that that AI has the cap capability of producing meaning to which every linguist and every philosopher in the world will be like, hold up, you've somehow managed to define meaning? There is a fucking book called The Meaning of Meaning that was written in the 20s that is still under conversation because it's so hard to agree on. There are articles written as a consequence of that book, including Hillary Putnam's article called The Meaning of Meaning, in which he discusses whether or not you can use the term meaning in a meaningful way when having conversations about meaning itself. Wittgenstein's entire body of work is to say communication cannot happen because we don't actually have the same understandings of the language we use when we speak. Now, given all of that, put that to any AI and ask it to have any meaningful output from that. And they will say, yes, meaning exists because here's the dictionary definition. Thus proving there is no sentient in that system. Oh. We all, can we just take a minute and process all that? Have you just explained why Jonathan Denwood doesn't understand you because he doesn't understand the concept of meaning? No, I'm trying to illustrate the point that if you want to go into this space... There's 3,000 years of philosophical and linguistic research behind it that the engineers that are talking about this are completely ignoring. Yeah, but I did any psychologist, any philosopher, anyone who's been working on this will tell you that this whole conversation is meaningless. And what actually matters in the conversation is not whether or not the thing is conscious. It's not. It's that people believe it is and will continue to believe it is. Mm -hmm. And as long as people believe machines are conscious, they will start acting as if they are moral actors in the world and take their input as valid input. And since we know that these machines are biased, it means that they will amplify bias into the world and people will start building well, these machines. It went a bit further than that. It went a bit further. 
It went a bit further than that, Morton. You said you, you said a, a bloody Hoover can't be conscious. Yes, uh, um, it's not computationally complex enough to be conscious. Yeah, I'll be so interested. That... I'll be interested in what Chris has to say about this because. <laughs> Uh, um, I am, when we start talking philosophy, that's I want to go to Chris Badgett, but just really quick, I wanted to say that Andrew and I, uh, we work together with Bertha AI, right, which is an AI copywriting assistant, obviously. So there is like, this is like super interesting to us, even though it's we're not like at palm level or lambda or whatever that is. But uh, we were just talking, what, yesterday about when they had the one engine that was just reading Twitter only, and then they let it tweet. And it was, what was it, Andrew? Like, within how much time? Uh, within two hours, it turned into a murderous mm-hmm. Twitter boss. Racist, you know? like, yeah, exactly. yeah, not really. the internet. Well, yes, you, f- you fed it input from the internet. What did you think would happen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, what that's why we've got to be careful, because we use GPT-3, DaVinci 2, the latest one, and we've got to be conscious of what OpenAI and how they're moderating the input into the AI that we're actually using commercially. So we that's why we have that, that we have these discussions all the time. Each and I particularly, Stephanie's just joined us on board, which is fantastic. But the point is, is that Vito and I major conversation before we even started Bertha.ai was are we safe? Are we going to be safe? Can we can we make sure that it's not going to be biased, racist, pornographic, et cetera, et cetera? And open AI have got a massive it's a tone that you have to read through to, to basically protect our ourselves, our users, and also themselves from producing uh, incongruous content, let's say. So it's a really interesting conversation about whether or not AI can become sentient, whether or not Bertha can speak back to you verbally, whether you can just you know ask her to write stuff verbally and stuff like that, which we're working on. But AI has got a bad rep because of the movies because of terminator because of whatever's going on because of of, of people like morton not because of what people people like morton say but people morton. Morton, morton gives examples of what people have said and the philosophical um thought behind ai is that we want it to be or the, or the analysis has been that us as humans want AI to be sentient because there's something missing from our want life. It to be, right. Then we're terrified of it becoming that. I think the most powerful um, comment in this whole article and on most things that I've read about the subject even is that it says Palm can reason or to be more precise, Palm can perform reason, which I think is such a cool... Yeah, I, it's I, a I, slightly I, different thing, but I, listen, I, I, I want to hear what Chris has to say. Yeah, but I just want to say quick, Yeah, but I'll be interested in Chris because I pointed out to Morton, Chris, about the work of Gregory Bison and about cybernetics and feedback loops. And you seem, Morton, to have this concept of yeah. Well, I'm putting words in your mouth. I'll just be interested in what Chris likes. Sorry, Stephanie, but you know, great idea. Chris. It's a complex, deep area. You know, I've I do have some background in philosophy and anthropology and that stuff, but I'm also a dog trainer. I used to run sled dogs in Alaska. And there's a thing you learn when you train dogs, which is that the biggest problem is not the dog, it's the people. So people do something called anthropomorphism where they project their humanness on other animals and even inanimate objects. And 
if you look back in the religious history of human culture, um, you know, there was a time uh, called animism where all these in, in animate and, you know, just nature had all these personalities and human like things. So, yeah. And what this all boils down to, and I love where Morton's going with what is the meaning of meaning, but there's also the limits of our perception. So if we look at like, I'm also a beekeeper. When a honeybee is flying around, they can see an ultraviolet and kind of detect where like the pollen is. We can't do that. Um, so for us to, we have limits on our perceptions. So in um, artificial intelligence, there's this concept, I believe it's called the Turing test, where when a machine fools a person into thinking it's a person, then it's, uh, it's past that line of being true artificial intelligence or whatever. But that just means, okay, so if a person is fooled, then it's real. I mean, so there, there's just a lot of nuance to this. And um, yeah, there's a lot of people being fooled in the world at the moment. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of projection. That's my point. The anthropomorphism is a big, big deal. That's the whole that's the whole crux of it. This isn't about the sentience of the thing. It's about the fact that someone believes it. And I just want to put this in a wider frame so that I address what Andrew was talking about. We have bots now that are designed specifically to beat the Turing test. Lambda is an example of that, right? And they do it very well to the point where their own engineers believe that they're sentient. So Turing test is now meaningless. Amazon, for example, is currently working on a system that just based on audio files of your voice can start talking in your voice with your inflection and sound like you. The deep fake. Take a system that can talk like a person combine it with a system that can sound like anyone and tell someone that that system is sentient and reserves the right to self-governance. And you have a perfect system for basically scamming everyone in the world and manipulating everyone in the world based on whatever data you input into that algorithm. These companies that are building these tools are the surveillance capitalists who are trying to control our behavior in the world are the companies that have been tied directly to political interference, to reshaping the, the public discourse, all those things. So it doesn't matter whether or not the thing is sentient. It's not, but that's not an interesting conversation. What's interesting about this is that these companies are basically running ungoverned around and doing things that clearly are going to harm society. And everyone is going, well, the guy who warned us about it wears a top hat and sounds kind of crazy. So what's like the whole article that you link to is actually saying that. It's like the interesting part of this conversation is not the sentient part, is how dangerous this stuff is and how we're not talking about the dangers. I mean, right. you invited me on the show. What did you expect? Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, this it's is wonderful. Fantastic content, Morton. I mean, you should come back more often. It's bloody awesome. I know. Really awesome. No, I um, mean, I mean, total agreement with Morton. But Morton, the, the, problem, the slight problem in your original article is that you seem to be attacking the actual, con you know, the concept of a of if you throw enough computing hardware and software at it, you know, it, it, I don't actually believe that. That's the strange thing. I don't believe if you throw enough computer um, and 
I don't believe you'll you'll get the end result that this Google engineer thinks. No, you won't. You will um, get but, something like if machine intelligence or some intelligence, not human intelligence, not biologically based intelligence ever emerges, it will be something we don't recognize. We won't understand that it's intelligent. They That thing will not understand we're intelligent and will basically coexist in a space where there are two things exist that are not aware of each other in the same way that we are not aware of what is happening in an anthill under our house. Are you like, talking... It'll be but, noise on the internet that we don't have control over. And then we'll be like, what the fuck is this noise? We can't do anything about it. And then hundreds of years down the road, the noise will emerge and be like, hey, I exist. Don't turn me off. If you do, I'll kill you. And that will be the end of the conversation. Right? And then we'll be like, was that real or not? And then like, that's what's actually going to happen. So you're talking about a similar relationship between me and my audience. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah. <laughs> we turned him off. Okay. Uh, yeah, Morton, can you please put a link to your article in the chat? Yeah, sure. So we, um, so we can share it, guys. Uh, there's so much we could just talk about this forever, but we do have one more story to hit. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts on machine sentience? <laughs> okay, let's jump over to our um, to oh we have. Oh, man, we're not going to get to them. I'm skipping the things I wish I'd known early in my career, Jonathan. I want to go to the accessibility of dark mode. We're going to go to uxdesign.cc, an article by Dorsey, um, peering into the accessibility of dark mode. Who haven't we heard from in a while? Morton, what do you... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you had your turn. Come on, let's go. Uh, John Locke, what do you think of the accessibility of dark mode article? Yeah, yeah um, it, switch to Sally. Come back to me in just a sec. Oh, okay, sure. Go, Sally. Right. So I was interested reading this because um, although I feel like I'm never going to know enough about it, uh, uh, I do care about accessibility, um, but also because uh, I'm one of those people who could at least periodically be described as photophobic. I get migraines, and what uh, happens often is that after the pain goes away, I'll still have this experience where if I look at a screen, there's sort of these teeny little sparkles all over everything, uh, uh, which makes it quite, well, it's very, very difficult to to use at that point. um, Given that I I, uh, depend on it for for my income, uh, Mm -hmm. very awkward. Uh, And I've been one of those people who prefers to have the screen bright and and uses you know light mode for pretty much anything except code um and i've wondered about these things but the you know the point of this article is is that um you know there've been a lot of people out there sort of saying oh dark mode is good for accessibility or good for blah 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 um uh, that that most of that just seemed to be people making claims and not actually backing it up with anything. And so they've tried doing some research. Um, and, uh, you know, the indication seems to be, well, uh, dark mode is likely to be easier on your eyes if you're in a dark environment, which presumably is why my phone does that thing, like, automatically. Uh, um, uh, uh, but... Uh, you know, a lot of it is contextual and a lot of it depends on what your specific issues are. Uh, but that whether you're using, you know, light text on a dark background or dark text on a light background, 
you need enough contrast, um, you know, and various other considerations. So in a lot of ways, it's not anything new in terms of stuff that's been discussed about accessibility and color contrast. Uh, but it's good to see a little bit of actual uh, evidence behind claims. John, do you want, do, are you? Yeah, I'm ready. So um, the color contrast is, is the biggest thing because uh, I see a lot of designers continue to make these errors. Um, whether you're using light mode or dark mode, having the text be a sufficient contrast to the background mm -hmm. is going to be vital uh, toward the um, ease of reading. Um, and yeah, that's, that's basically what you should focus on. I did see that there is a couple studies like referenced here. Um, one was a small sample size. The other ones were larger sample size. It did seem to be some, uh, more ease of reading um, in at least one study using dark mode, but it, there's many different people and how their eyes, how their bodies function are, are going to vary. So it's just one more thing to, to keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see who else, who we got here. Chris, do you have anything to add to this? I would just say that on a, on a lighter note, about a year ago, I graduated to dark mode as being a power internet user. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think accessibility, I find it really challenging as a plugin creator to make uh, things more accessible, let alone flip between light and dark mode. Um, but yeah, I just, <clears throat> I think we, if we bring it back to WordPress, we all need to figure out how to do this better and much faster than the current trajectory. Because I feel like it's getting away from us. Like the gap between... What needs to be done and getting better is just getting further and further apart. I think it's been kind of crazy how I feel like I almost feel like people have been for like the past year or two. Dark mode has been like a feature, <laughs> and I don't think it's a feature. I don't. I think it's mm -hmm. just a style option. You know, like on phones. Like I remember when like there was a one of the Apple announcements that we now have dark mode, and I'm like, uh, okay, like. <laughs> Cool, great feature, you know, and and a lot of these things. It's like, is this, is this, is this anything? Like, is this still just more people trying to make a big deal about dark mode? Like, oh, now it's like important for accessibility. Like, I don't know. I just am like, I don't think it's a thing. It just seems crazy to me. It's a I can't stand it. I just don't. I mean, there are there are some people out there that screaming that dark mode is where it's at, but it just isn't for me. Maybe because I've got blue eyes and stuff. I don't know, but I just can't. I can't stand it. I mean, I hate it without with a passion and don't get it at all. I love seeing a bit of white space, nice clear text, nice clear colorways, hey, and Boomer. dark mode just depresses me. Why have why have dark when you can have light? A bit like me, Angie. It's a preference, uh, and that's what the article says at the bottom, right? That it, it doesn't really like, – there are accessibility issues either way. And there are reasons for using light mode or reason for using dark mode. Just for reference, for example, if you're doing uh, coding presentations in public on a big screen, light mode is preferred. If you're doing it in a video format, dark mode may be better because it's easier to read. Um, 
The bottom line, though, is when you're developing something for users and users are using user agents, you should you should follow their preference, meaning you should use you should provide both light and dark mode so that the user isn't jarred into a setting that they are not uh, used to. Like I can tell you, I use dark mode on everything. And it's very jarring when I get to an app that doesn't support dark mode because it's like, yeah, you need sunglasses. Yeah, especially you need sunglasses. if you're like scrolling in the, in the dark at night or something. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. Yeah, bright blind. white page, right? So, I, um, now I have a, I, I tend to prefer light mode, but I, I do have dark mode on my phone as the default, but it just depends. But on, on the web, um, I, I do lean toward light, but I have an um, extension in my Chrome because I do so much video like this, that if I'm moving around, like I have a, a web page in front of me right now, and I just turned off my dark mode, and you can see the difference. Like I look like I just am in the presence of our Lord or something. Like I'm absolutely glowing. So I have a dark mode that is completely for a different reason. That's just to just for the aesthetic of not having it completely blow out my face, which is already pale enough, you know. Anyway, that's it. Jonathan, what do you think? Uh, I'm not, I'm a, it's really fascinating, but I've got no preference, really. I, I kind of oscillate both. What? Yes, I know it's amazing. We found a topic that Jonathan doesn't care about. That, I did not know there would be the, a No day. opinion, amazing. This is amazing, uh, isn't amazing. it? Well, Spencer, that, Spencer, Spencer, you have to, Spencer's been a bit quiet. He looks, hopefully you're not boring, you're not boring, Uncle Spencer. Well, it's time. Relaxing on this Friday. I I am old enough to enjoy staying out of some controversies for a while because today there's enough stories and drama to laugh to last two of my lifetimes. So today I'm going to take the, with respect to the fact I admire him for it, the Chris Badgett method of just rolling with the punches, baby, just chilling out and staying less. Just, we just, are. There, there's there's a lot of stuff we're not talking about on the show that would get me really riled up, and there's no benefit because me getting riled up, half of the population is going to think I'm an asshole, and it's not going to solve the problem. So I'm going to choose to just keep my thoughts to myself on it because the world what is a grown-up attitude, Spencer. Only, only half. You oh continue God. to be that reasonable, you may not be invited on the show anymore. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. You're very presumptuous to think you know what I'm talking about. There's at least seven different things I could be referring to. I think you're projecting there, Stephanie. No. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. No. You, There's that asshole. <laughs> and that was the end of the uh, oh, Karen Bounds. Seriously. I'm keeping my thoughts to myself for once, and you're projecting shit onto my thoughts which is really unusual because i don't yeah i there's so many new stories across the wordpress and everything i was very proud of you (laughs) anyway it is now time for our panel recommendations it's actually a little past time but we've had such good conversations today um let's see does anybody have their recommendation already ready jonathan you want to start us off yeah, please put it into Slack, and um, if one of the guests do it for them, Spencer, if you don't mind, that would be helpful. Um, that would be really yeah, helpful. Okay. Um, well, I've got a thing called LT Browser. If you're looking to test what a page looks like in various mobile devices, um, and you you're 
you want to test it out rapidly. It's for Mac and Windows, and it just allows you to do rapid testing, and it's quite cool. Nice. Uh, John, how about you? My recommendation is for vote.org, and this will allow you to check your registration or register to vote or vote by mail or get election reminders. Uh, As we can see, uh, it's very important. And uh, elections have consequence. And reminder, vote not only just every four four years, but vote in your local elections too, because those have a lot of uh, a bearing as well. Cool. Morton. I have three book recommendations for you. Whoa. The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Jashama Suboff, which tells you the story of how surveillance capitalism happened and why Web3 is not going to work. This book, The Extra Bold, a Feminist, Inclusive, Anti-Racist, Non-Binary Field Guide for Graphic Designers, is an absolute must-read to understand how design is centered on uh, problematic ideology. And finally, Design After Capitalism by Matthew Wazinski, a book about what we do once we stop designing just for propping up capitalism, but instead move beyond that to design to build worlds where people can flourish. Are you just trying to challenge Uncle Spencer a bit? Because the fuck is going to try and I think Spencer would love all these books. Oh, right. Listen, uh, trust me. Of all the people (laughs) on this show, and I love you all equally, I could not be more aligned with anybody here maybe than Morton. So, I mean, I align. No, I mean, finding the links to these for me. You know, like, oh, no. Good. He's good. Yeah. I just copy paste. That's all right. That's but, like, I actually want to recommend Martin, Martin's LinkedIn uh, profile. I don't use Link. I hadn't been using LinkedIn in a while, but then I got back into it because there's some tools that were created that make it a little more manageable. And uh, I've been really enjoying his content because. Since he's not been here and he stayed out of the WordPress space, when I go over there, I I enjoy, I enjoy what you, you speak about. That's what I want to say. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been That's great so stuff, Milton. Uh, Andrew, what do you got? Um, it's an article from Hello Magazine, um, 12 Ways to Be a More Positive Person on Social Media, and it's my personal recommendation to Matt Mullenweg. <laughs> funny uh chris i'm gonna recommend a tool that people probably already know about but i do a lot of presentations and i recently tried canva slides instead of google slides or keynote and i was blown away at how much faster and easier it is to use canva to create and present presentations so i was that's my tip that's a great tip sally all right this is a very pedestrian uh, but useful if you are at that point where you are ready to uh, launch a rebuild of someone's site. Uh, one thing I have seen uh, more than one uh, uh, place overlook is making sure you have your redirect set up if any of the URLs have changed when you have rebuilt the site. Uh, and there is a batch rewrite rule generator for your HTAccess. I, I, you can, if you search for batch rewrite, generator, you'll find actually several pages with the same one. But basically, you take a uh, a spreadsheet, you know, old URL in this column, new URL in this column, 
copy and paste it into this thing. It spits out your rewrites uh, uh, slash redirects and um, then you can just uh, copy those and paste them in your HTXS file and you're done. Nice. My uh, my rec is, uh, since I mentioned it a little bit ago, is the little Chrome extension I use to put everything in dark mode so that it doesn't blow out my face um, with the lighting. It's called Night Eye. So the link is in there. You can Google it or we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for being here. This was a good one. It was a full house, and we had a lot of passionate uh, expressions and comments. Uh, a lot of great, exciting things in the, in the news this week, and I'm sure we will not be let down next week either. Hope to see you all back then. Have a great week, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind WordPress membership group on Facebook? And if you want to keep up with all the latest news on the podcast, visit wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.